Romans chapter 12. Last week we looked at the blood of Jesus Christ, the reason it was shed, what it accomplished. Tonight we'll look at a different, different angle of the blood. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Romans chapter 12, I'm sorry. I'm confusing you, ain't I? Romans 12. Romans 12 and verse 1. says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This evening, I want us to look at the living sacrifice. The reason you sacrifice something is because uh, of bloodshed. Jesus said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And last week we looked at Jesus and shedding his blood and what that accomplished, why he did all those things and our benefits and our blessings that come by the blood of Jesus Christ. But tonight I'd have us to look at our part in this. What, uh, how does that affect us today? So you've been, been born again. You're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been reconciled to God and You've been ransomed, and there's remission of sins, and all those things we talked about last week. Well, what does that mean for daily life for a Christian? This is what, uh, where a lot of folks fall short. So here's what I would have you think on this evening. Jesus died on a cross. He shed his blood on the cross to save us from our sins. And I want to go a little further this evening on the living sacrifice. So hold your finger there. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. In Exodus chapter 29 and in verse 37, it says, Seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar. And sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever toucheth the altar shall be holy. You see that? Uh, the, here in the Old Testament, you'll find that the Lord told Moses when he was on the mount to build a, a sanctuary. Uh, he said, I don't want just you to build it. You tell the people to bring and them sacrifice, and when they sacrifice, they'll build me a sanctuary. It's not the man of God's job to build the sanctuary. It's all of our responsibility to bring what part we can uh, to build the sanctuary. And then the Lord told Moses, I want you to set apart uh, Aaron to be a high priest. And you're going to sanctify Aaron, the high priest, and you're going to sanctify the tabernacle. But before you do any of that, he said, I want you to set apart Aaron, and they did. And as soon as the high priest was established, the Lord said, now make me an altar before you build the tabernacle. 
So the altar is important. The altar was at the doorway to get into the tabernacle. There was no uh, meeting with God. There was no forgiveness of sin except it was at the doorway. Hey, are you here tonight? I, I want you to hone in now. This is going to be a blessing to you, I think. All right, so at the doorway of the altar... Or, uh, of the tabernacle when you go in the doorway first thing you meet is an altar the altar is a place of death it's a place where blood is shed and where sins are forgiven so if you're guilty of sin you can't get but to the doorway and guess who's the doorway Jesus said I am the door to the sheepfold say so what about the altar well in Hebrews 13 it says we have an altar and his name is Jesus Christ. What did Jesus make his altar? What did he die upon? A cross. Now whatever the blood was put upon, it makes it holy. Is that right? Isn't that what we read? It says to sanctify uh, the altar, uh, what they're going to do is they're going to do that by shedding blood. Uh, and whatever the blood touches is going to cleanse the altar, verse 36, and it will make an atonement for it, and then they're going to anoint the altar and then sanctify the altar, and that is done by the shedding of blood. And once the altar has been established and set apart, all of a sudden, whatever put, is put on the altar becomes holy. You see, the Pharisees got away from that. They had a hard time understanding that the altar was holy. They believed, and this is what Jesus reproved them for in Matthew 23. He said, ye fools and blind, whether is greater the altar or the, uh, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. It doesn't matter what you bring to put upon the altar. If the altar is not clean, your gift isn't clean. So we need a good altar that's accepted by God so that whatever we place on that altar will be accepted by God. Does that make sense? What did Jesus put his blood upon? The cross. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, it's going to take mercy to get a hold of this. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Who's doing the presenting? You are as a believer. What are you presenting? Jesus' body? No, your body. As what kind of sacrifice? A living sacrifice. Now this is important. A body has to be laid down in the Old Testament, they had to take the body of a bull or a goat or a calf or a sheep or a lamb or a ram, and they had to take that body and they had to lay it on the altar. And, uh, and it had to change substance. It had to change form. If that Once that animal was sacrificed, once the blood was shed, once the lamb or whatever the animal was was put on the, sac the altar and it was sacrificed, it went from uh, what it did look like to up in smoke. And then once it went in smoke, it went all the way up into heaven and dissipated out of sight. So it changed form from something that it once was into something that's now accepted to God. 
And this is the idea that the Lord is giving us here, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You present your body. How are you to do it? Uh, well, number one, he says, holy, holy. If you don't take time to be holy, separate from this world, then you won't be. It takes time. That's an old hymn we used to sing, I think, in the White Hymn book that's, that, that we used to have here in this church. Take time to be holy. If you don't take time, you won't be. We need to present our bodies, first off, holy, which doesn't mean uh, what this world has made it to mean. It means separate is what it means. God is holy. Isn't that right? It says that our high priest in Hebrews, first off, is holy. Then he's harmless and he's undefiled. He's holy. And how, how do they qualify that? The same text says he's separate from sinners. That's how he's holy. How are we to be holy? Separate from the world. Different than them. You're to offer your body a living sacrifice, not a dead one. You don't have to take your life. You just lay your life down. Isn't that what Jesus said? Uh, if you save your life, what will you do with it? You'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake and the gospel is the same, shall save it. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus also said, uh, except a man take up his cross daily and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. So there must be a cross for me and you. Yes, friend, Jesus took our place on the cross and he paid a debt we could never begin to pay, but I have my cross and you have yours. We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice upon that cross. Which is your, it's acceptable unto God if you do it that way, verse 1, which is your reasonable service. That means this is basic training for us. This is the very least you can do. Well, preacher, I want to do something for the Lord. Well, he tells you what you can do. Every one of us, lay your life down. Lay your life down. And I'll get into that here in just a moment. I don't want to keep you long tonight. Just give me your attention for just a minute. Think about this. When the body is laid down, a body has a head, does it not? A body without a head is dead. You can't present your body a living sacrifice if you're headless. Does that make sense? What, what happens in the head? The head is where the mind is. It's where the reasoning is. And we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, verse 2 tells us. There's a renewing that's to take place. We're not to live in the oldness of the letter and the deadness of the letter, but in newness of spirit and newness of life. If what we're doing today is the same thing we were doing before we say we met the Lord, you're still in your sins. There's no difference. Just because you can say, the Lord saved me and I continue as I once did, that's not salvation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's been created anew. There's a new life to live. If there's no newness in your life, you're still in the oldness of the letter and still under condemnation. You cannot go back to the old way of life and be okay. The Lord won't allow that. And if you're without chastisement, then are you bastards and not sons, and you're none of his. Hebrews 12 says, if you don't have the Lord on your case saying that's not right, and you got to make it right, if you don't have that, friend, you don't have him as your heavenly father. 
You're still of your father, the devil. You can't have the both. There's one or the other. And if, you're, if we do have a heavenly father, then we're to lay our life down as a living sacrifice. You got a head. That's where your mind is, what you think on. The thought is the father of the deed. And whatever you think on, you will justify if you ponder it long enough. And then you'll persuade yourself that it's okay and everybody else is wrong and you can't see the mote in your own eye. That's a problem. God wouldn't have it that way. He would have us to lay down first off our head. Now in my head, I have eyes. How about you? And if you got eyes in your head, that's what allows the visible world into you. Whatever you look at is going to have an effect on you. This is where the visible world enters into you. And if the light of the body is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's what Jesus said. I also have ears on my head. That's what allows fellowship. You know how I fellowship with my wife? Well, first off, I see her. She's good looking and I like her. There you go. There's your plug. That is true. I love my wife very much. But the way that we fellowship is we communicate and we talk. Uh, sometimes we get up in the morning. I, I get up ex extra early because I read my Bible. And then a lot of times she's pretty close behind me. But then I'll start talking to her about what I'm seeing and then I keep her from reading her Bible. But... We're fellowshipping. I, I like doing that. I love talking about God's Word. Ears is where your fellowship comes in. Isn't that what the Lord said? Take heed how you hear. And then he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. You're getting it. Yeah. So ear is for fellowship. The ear is what the Lord uses. Your ear is to be laid on the altar too. What you listen to. I'll tell you, friend, it's not good to listen to some things. It'll pull you down and then it'll form bad opinions too. You need to be careful. Mouth is also in, on my head, my mouth. And the mouth is uh, where what's inside of you is revealed to everybody else. What you say reveals where your heart's at. Jesus said that too, didn't he? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And did you, if, did you know that if you read the book of Proverbs, the vast majority of the whole book of Proverbs has to do with your words and your tongue and what you say and how you say it and, it, and the people who do those things, uh, the, the hearer, the speaker, and those kind of things. So the mouth is to be laid upon the altar as well. Well, that's just a part of the head. But then I think about the body has got hands. So I've got hands. And that, my friend, is how you work. It's where you serve. It's your business and what you do and what you're a part of. We work with our hands. Seems like that's the Bible too, isn't it? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. The hand is to be laid on the altar. How about the feet? The feet determine where you go. It's your walk. It's, uh, it's the way that you go. It's the path that you choose. It's your friends that you have. That's determined by your feet. Two cannot walk together except they be agreed. 
Uh, otherwise, there's contention and strife. And those kind don't have peace, nor fellowship, nor communion. So your feet are important too. And all these things the Lord said he hates. Isn't that right? He said he hates a prideful look. Well, pride is where the head's at. He said he hates hands that shed innocent blood. He hates feet that are swift to running to mischief. Isn't that right? He said he hates a false witness, and he said that an abomination to him is he that soweth discord among the brethren. The Lord hates those things. That's all a part of your body that must be laid on the altar. Also, I find the heart is a part of me. Now, this is interesting with the blood. Your body has blood in it. If your heart isn't pumping that blood, what happens to you? You die. Life is in the blood. And without the heart, there is no moving of the blood. So the old timers, they believed that your blood contained your soul because if the heart wasn't pumping that blood, the soul left. So the heart's to be laid upon the altar too. That's the center of who you are. That is the seat of all of who you are. Everything that you consist of flows in and out of the heart. Just like the blood is pumped by the heart, you on the inner man, on the inside, the real you, and nobody's looking. That is who you really are, and that is pumped in and out of you. That's the heart. It's a dwelling place of the soul. It's where your desires are. It's where everything you want to do, your will and your mind and your emotion, it's where all of that comes together. That all must be laid on the altar. The will, I would say, of the inner man, the will is the feet of the soul. Because if you're not willing, you're not going. Does that make sense? If you're willing to do something, you'll do it. No matter how hard the circumstances or how rough the way, you'll do it. You see, the will is a part of your heart. And all that must be laid upon the altar to accomplish God's will and not our own will. Remember Jesus in the garden? He said, not my will but thine be done, Lord. I want what you want, not just what I want. Jesus said in the garden when he's praying and he was under such a strain, he was sweating Great drops of blood. Here's what the doctors say. That means he was hemorrhaging. He was under such a load. And as he sweat great drops of blood in the garden, he said, Lord, he said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt, is what he said. He said, Lord, I want another way if there is a way, but if there is no other way, not what I want what you want and I'll do what you want and I'll lay my life down and I'll shed my blood for what you want, Lord, and not what I want. All of these things that I've mentioned to you, they formed a fleshly body and this fleshly body houses your soul. Whenever the blood quits in your body, whenever it quits circulating, the soul leaves. And the body is to be laid down as a living sacrifice. Originally, your body was made by God to be the servant of your soul. But because of sin, the roles have been reversed. And now the soul is made the servant of the sensual 
fleshly body. You know what people live after today? They live after their flesh. They live after their flesh. Even those who claim to be born again, most of them live after their flesh. Lord, if it's going to be hard on me, then I don't want to go and do that. But we ought to be saying, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. And what you've said, Lord, that's what I'll do. Even if it costs me my life, I'm going to go by what God said in this book and not what I think. I want what God wants, and I want to live by his rule. That's the way it ought to be. And the only way it can be that way, the only way that the soul cannot be seduced by the body is for it to be laid down on the altar, a living sacrifice. You see, the body has to be nailed to the cross. My body, with all its parts, even the nerves that I have, it's a network that allows me to experience things in this world. But the world that I'm currently in is a fallen world. And my body, even with all the nerves that's there, it must voluntarily be laid down on the altar of your own free will. God is not going to sacrifice you so that you can walk closer to him. You're going to have to lay yourself down and say, Lord, I want what you want and not what I want. I'm not going to justify myself. That was Job's problem. Job justified himself rather than God. And by the end of the book of Job, he said, I'll just lay my hand on my mouth and I'll be silent when you speak. He said, I abhor myself. And he said, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. Why did Job get there? Because he got, he got to the place where he understood it ain't about me. It's about the Lord himself, and he can do with me whatever he wants to. He can take my life if he wants to. He can take whatever he wants to. I was born without anything. He can take me out of here without anything. It ain't about me. It's about the kingdom of God. It's not about what I think individually. It's about the body of Christ. In all of this that I've mentioned with the sacrifice and the body and all the parts, I find that Jesus himself had a body. When he came to this earth, he said, A body hast thou prepared me. That's in Hebrews quoted from the Psalms. And Jesus had a body. And he lived in a body that looked like yours and mine. He looked like a regular man, but he was God in the flesh. And what did he do as a sinless man, as the sinless Son of God? What did he do with his body? He laid it down as a sacrifice for you and for me. He had a head, and he let it be crowned with thorns. He had hands and feet, and he let them be nailed to a cross. He had a heart, and it was pierced by a spear when he was on the cross, and therewith outflowed blood and water. And from his side, we're told, the church was born. Jesus' blood was shed on that old rugged cross. And as it was, as his blood was pure and sinless and spotless, it sanctifies and it cleanses whatever else touches that cross. Now here's where I'm going with all that tonight. We are to lay down our body as a living sacrifice. 
We're to lay down our lives the same way Jesus did. I'm not talking about a physical cross. I'm not talking about a piece of wood. I'm talking about uh, laying down our lives, our wants, our wishes, our desires. Well, I think it ought to be this way. It ain't about what I think. It's about what God said, and it's not about me. It's about Him. And if we're not going to glorify the Lord in all things, then what's the use and what's the purpose of what we're doing? You see, fellowship is only to be found with Jesus Christ upon that altar. And whatever is put on that altar is made holy. So if you're going to be holy... You're going to have to be on that cross along with him. Well, he took my place and now I'm alive and he died. Oh, friend, that's only half the story. He died for you and me to pay a debt we could never pay. But he also said if you don't take up your cross and follow him daily, you cannot be his disciple. See, without Christ, the cross means nothing. But a crucified Savior on the cross gives it all its value. Laying down yourself with all the life that dwells within you, your self-life and all the above, uh, laying it down upon the altar. The Lord says in this context it is acceptable unto God. God will accept that. Why? But was it because you do things so right? Not at all. But it's because Jesus shed his blood that when you'll die to yourself and you'll get in that position, then whatever touches that cross will be made holy. And you will be made acceptable unto God. I don't know if this is getting through to you, but I'm sure trying to get through to you. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. Isn't that the song we sing? Why do we sing that? Because he was on a cross and he died by Jesus? No, because he saw the one who was in the middle. He said, this man has done nothing amiss. We're getting what we deserve. He's not. He's taking our place. The dying thief, he rejoiced when he saw that. And he, somehow by faith, he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. The dying thief, he was on that cross along with Jesus. And he was acceptable unto God because he laid his body down upon the cross right along with Jesus. The picture and the type we can find in the Lord's Supper, uh, that's in the broken body of Jesus Christ. That's the bread. The wine is the, his shed blood. Uh, you can see all of those things uh, as Jesus laid them out. And our fellowship, truly our fellowship, is with the Father and with the Son. And if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. And we have fellowship one with another. But if we will not lay down our lives for the benefit of the church, for the benefit and the good of all, then we want to live to ourselves behind closed doors. Friend, that's not why Jesus came. You cannot have true fellowship with the Lord and with the Father for the scriptures say, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with Jesus Christ and his blood cleanseth us from all sin and we have fellowship one with another. The whole scope of everything is not so that I 
can go and have my mansion one day and do what I want in heaven. That's not heaven at all. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. And one day we're going to get on the other shore with the whole blood-washed throng and we're all going to sing together. It's not about me having my time in heaven. Oh, no. It's all about him and being at his feet. Don't uh, short sell yourself. And when we get in that mindset, then what we do is we do despite to the church that Jesus bought with his own blood. Just let me go on record and say this. You cannot do wrong and be right with God. You cannot do wrong to others that are believers and be right with God. That must be corrected. It must be corrected. If it's swept under the rug, then here's what the Lord does. He says, that's not acceptable to me. Keep playing your game. Keep coming in. Keep sitting down. Keep raising your hands and putting on fake tears. I'm not accepting it. Until everything is right. And I will say that uh, we know when things are not right within us. I know when I'm not right. And I can't bear that. I know if there's something between me and my wife. I know if there's something between me and someone else. And it must be made right. The Lord takes great offense to doing wrong to each other. Because he said, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. That's what he said. So our fellowship... It's with the Father, it's with the Son, it's with one another, and it's by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, we got to lay down our life as a living sacrifice. There's a walk with the Lord that will wither your flesh if you really walk with Him. You see, our fellowship with Jesus is in communing with Him and walking with Him, and it will cause unbelief to wither up in you. This is the only accomplished, uh, this is only accomplished by the sacrifice of self life, of I, me, my. It's a sacrifice, it's an undivided surrender. You see, if you're going to come to the Lord and have fellowship with Him, if His blood is going to cleanse you, if you're going to lay your life down upon that same blood-stained altar, it will make you holy, but you're not made holy in and of yourself or by your prayers or your tears or your Bible readings or your good deeds or none of that. Oh, no, friend, it's by laying your life down with Christ. The Lord set an example for you and I. And that's what we're to follow. Obedience is the surest way to prove out a surrendered life. We can talk, 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 talk. But until we do, all the talk means nothing. We, uh, uh, we are to display our faith by our works. That's what James said. It's uh, faith that is not coupled with obedience is nothing more than a fairy tale and a wild imagination. And we're not to be living that way. We are to, to have true faith. We are to have true holiness. We are to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. That's the way we're to do. 
Now, how do you do that? I can tell you one way. You can lay down your life. This is real deep. I don't know if you can get it. Greet one another. That's deep, ain't it? Shake hands. Say hello. Uh, that's one way. How about uh, serving each other? What do you need? I want to help you today. I don't need nothing. Well, if you do need something, let me know. And then just kind of be observant. And if you see somebody needs something, then just take care of it. Serve one another. How about edifying one another? Let me tell you where uh, the, the New Testament church is as I see it. We can see all the problems. Hey, I'm the best at that. I, I can see problems. And then what we like to do is talk about problems. But the church does not exist to murmur and grumble and complain. The church exists not to see the bad side of things. The church exists to edify itself in love. That's Ephesians chapter 4. So why don't we encourage each other? And why don't we do that? Here's what it says in Hebrews. Exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, which is the day of Jesus Christ and his coming. We're to exhort each other. Not discourage each other. Exhort one another. But you know what we like to do? Talk about things that we don't like. No, friend. We're to encourage each other. Hey, I'm praying for you. I noticed you the other day. I, I'm thinking about you and your family. I'm praying for you. I want God to do something for you. And we need to say those things, not just keep it quiet. People need to hear that. They need to know that they're cared for. We're to care one for another. We're to honor one another, aren't we? Aren't we to provoke into love? Aren't we to encourage each other? I see long faces. You might as well. I'm going to keep hitting it until somebody smiles. There we go. I got one or two. Uh, I, I'm, I'm telling you, friend, this is how it works. We've got to lay down our lives. Jesus laid his life down. We're to do the same thing. Now I'm going to close with this. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. In verse 8, he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For for whom I have surrendered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead." Now notice this. Paul goes from talking about I and my to verse 10 here. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. There's a change in language here. There's a change from I and my to him and his. Boy, that'll 
change the whole outlook of everything that we do. When we see the Lord high and lifted up and we go from I and my to him and his. And that's the way we're to be. And Paul then goes forward and he talks about the fellowship of his sufferings. How are we going to know the Lord in a deeper way? Is if we suffer, if we uh, lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. And I will tell you one of the ways we can do that again is we can lay down our own pride and our own self thoughts. Well, it ain't the way I like it. Well, die to self and you'll get to liking it Jesus' way. Because when he walked this earth, there was nothing like he created it. And yet he laid his life down because of a joy set before him. He had a people in mind. He had a goal in mind. And he was going to that goal. And he sat at the right hand of the Father. And I'm currently seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I've got as much hope as any man in this world. The Lord, he laid down his life when nothing went his way. We can do the same. And I'll tell you, friend, if you can't do it now, in an easy day, what will you do? Here's what Jeremiah said. If the footmen tire you, what will you do when the horses come? If you can't run with footmen, wait till it gets harder. Because the way it looks by our social climate, it's fixing to get a lot harder to serve the Lord. And if you can't do it now, it's going to get worse. It's going to cost us something. We're going to have to lay down our lives. Here's what David said, and uh, I'll leave you with this thought. David said, well, he was being judged of the Lord for some wrong that he had done. He had numbered the people to see if he could go into battle. The Lord didn't tell him to do that, and the Lord sent a prophet to him and said, I'm going to give you one of three options. You pick which one you want. And David said, I want you to judge me and my house because this people didn't choose this. But in the process of that, the Lord did judge the nation, and many people lost their lives. Well, David went to the threshing floor of Ornan. And when he went to the threshing floor, which is where things were sorted out, he went to the threshing floor, and there was an angel of the Lord there with his sword drawn. And David, when he saw that, he wanted to offer a sacrifice. And he went to Ornan, and he said, Give me the threshing floor. And uh, Ornan said, You can have it, David. Just offer a sacrifice to the Lord there. And David said, No, I want to know what you want for it. I'm going to buy it. And Ornan said, It's yours. You're the king. You can have it. And David said, I will not take nothing that doesn't cost me something. There's got to be a sacrifice on my part or it will not be accepted by God. I've got to give what I can give. That's all we can do. Give what you have. Isn't that what the song says that we sing? It's at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. One of the uh, lines in that says, Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. That's all that I've got to give is me. That's all that you can give is you. And that's what the Lord is after. He's not after what we can lay on this altar up here or in this offering plate. He's after you. He's got me and he's got you. He's got everything. That's what he's after. Your life must be laid down as a living sacrifice. 
And what is it that makes all of that acceptable? The blood of Jesus Christ. Because he shed his blood on that cross, me shouldering my cross is accepted. Are you shouldering your cross this evening? Are you dying to self? Are the things between you and the Lord, you cannot be at peace with God and know that there's something between you? You must lay it all on the altar. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart, does the Spirit control? Is it all there?